This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. And welcome to another episode of Queen City Nerves News Hounds Podcast. I am Ryan Pitkin, here today with a, an old friend of mine and a, a, I'll say a, a newly returned Charlotte City Councilwoman Luana Mayfield. How's it going, Luana? You know what? Things are pretty amazing. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. I'm just going to start off right away by saying I think you still owe me a beer from about eight years ago. I'm quite sure I do, it's, so let's see if we can make that happen we were, in 2023. <laughs> we were at Pizza Peel <laughs> celebrating the legalization of same-sex marriage, mm-hmm. and it was so packed tight in there. People were dancing on top of celebrating, on top of... I just had a beer on the table, and that was maybe a silly thing to put it by the edge, but that thing, that thing went over. <laughs> that's, that's what happens, and yes. that opened the door for me and my wife to get married. Yeah, so we, there it is. You it's know, a, good things happen. It's been a beautiful thing. <laughs> um, I haven't actually been able to, to chat with you since you've returned to city council, since yeah. my creative loafing days, and I've obviously launched a new paper since then, and, and you're back on council now. And before we get into some of these you know, hot topics, what's going on in the city, Tell me just a little bit about your background, and uh, you grew up in Charlotte, right? Actually, no. I moved to Charlotte in 88, 88 so okay. quite a few people know. Some do not. Mm. Unfortunately, both of my parents died when I was young. I mm. actually grew up in Miami, so my father passed away unexpectedly when I was 13, and then by 15, my mom was gone a year and a half later with cancer complications, So, but unlike uh, a lot of people in the story of you getting into social justice work because you would not negatively impact it. I was spoiled rotten okay. as a child, grew up in a house, never wanted for anything up to that point. But by 17, I was out on my own and visited Charlotte and fell in love with the city and decided this is where I want to grow up. Right. So what would you say has inspired, because you are certainly more on a social justice bent yes. than most uh, <laughs> local government officials, I would say, and that's, yeah. I, I don't think many folks would argue with that. What inspired that in you? You know what? Honestly, I had a lot of anger mm-hmm. when I was young because of losing my parents at a young age and trying to figure out and navigate the world. Even though looking back, I was definitely blessed and always covered. There was a lot of things that I did not go without. But what I learned for me in my early 20s, mid-20s was that I really liked volunteering. That gave me a sense of joy to be able to help others. Like I can think back to my very first volunteering opportunity here in Charlotte is there was In that old paper you Mm -hmm. used to be with, there was actually a little article about needing a third shift suicide prevention phone Mm -hmm. person. And I wasn't really doing a whole lot. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go down and get trained. And I used to work at the Barnard door Mm -hmm. right off of Independence before it became a highway and go be there because a lot of people don't realize that time of sadness and the weight of the world really hits a lot of people between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m., where they really feel like they're alone and they don't have anyone. And I had the opportunity 
to be blessed to be there when people needed someone to talk to about whatever mm -hmm. was going on. And I think that triggered the door. And from there, I went on and spent a lot of years actually learning community organizing. Like I actually trained before they figured out how to make it a degree right. yeah, <laughs> and yeah. for colleges mm -hmm. to decide yeah, if there's a nonprofit management degree mm -hmm. and all of that. Long before that, I trained under some of the greatest leaders, former SNCC, Members, Saikon, Pam Pompey, Dr. Jamie Washington, June Rostin, Kathy O'Bear, some of those who were really doing the work for 20, 30 years of their life, because I really thought that's the direction I was supposed to go in. Right. I mean, and you sort of, you have. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting you say that about the classifieds answering that ad to become a volunteer because I was just thinking this week about bringing those back. Oh, everybody thinks everybody thinks they're dead and it's rightfully so because Craigslist and the internet, what's the point of needing to read through all these little things? But then I picked up, or my parents went to Charleston, they picked up a city paper down there and brought it back and they have, it says right there, 35 bucks a pop and there are just rows and rows of folks who, Obviously, it's working for somebody because they're paying it for it. It is. And if you think about modern technology and what mm -hmm. we thought it would be, we're bringing us closer together, it's actually created a level of divide. Right, a bubble. And you have the bullying that happens both for young people and for adults, whereas when you have a chance to read the print and you get a chance to show up, because everyone's looking for some type of connection. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of that connection is geared towards negativity. Mm -hmm. So when you find out these people that go out and commit mass shootings, some of the media that they were watching, that is not that is not a positive connection right. to make. So if there's a way to give people more opportunities to just show up and be human, right, yeah, and I'm going to support that. A specific topic or right. anything like you would on Craigslist. You're just sort of looking you're just at stuff. seeing what's yeah. out there because I would have never known right, that that was even something line. that was needed mm -hmm. until I was just reading through it in this little bitty ad and mm -hmm. I was like, wow, I think that's something I can do. Yeah. So uh, you uh, you had left city council in, remind me which year? 20, I did not win in 2019. 2019. So I served from 20, 2011 to 2018. You were the so district eight years, two rep at that point. District West three. Our, District 3. Before, it's now District 2. It was mm, District 3, okay, so evidently yeah. I did such a good job. Right. They felt the need to break it up. But I had that opportunity for eight years, but I also received a lot of calls throughout Charlotte mm -hmm. of people where the call would start out, Councilmember Mayfield, I'm not in your district, but... You, <laughs> so You, you can hear me. You will I hear was me. like, yeah. well, you know what? If y'all are going to treat me as an at-large member... And it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. Like, there are very few times in Charlotte history where someone went from a district seat to an at-large seat right. versus running at-large. You've seen Arkansas, it. Arkansas, I... Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you've seen it. So I took a chance. And even at that, I came really close, even though I had, for some people, a lot of controversy. I just mm -hmm. say I try to speak up right. for people because I'm a community organizer. I'm a grassroots organizer. So my passion has always been around community, not corporate. Right. Corporate has a place, but not to the detriment of neighborhoods and the residents who live here. Absolutely. So keeping that at the forefront I did not win. I went back to volunteering, mm -hmm. doing the things that I love. I had no intentions of running again, to be That's perfectly honest. That's what I was honest. curious about, yeah. None. We got rid of everything. Mm -hmm. We got rid of all right. the yard signs. We mm -hmm. got rid of everything. 
if I had thought I was going to stay or run again, then I would have kept those because those things are expensive. Right, exactly, but yeah. over the years, I realized I'm really interested in sustainability. And I'm like, you know, there's a lot of waste that goes in the yard signs. So we did something very different. Still got out and knocked on doors. Still talked to a lot of community members, went to a lot of community meetings and events. But I ran a campaign with no yard signs. Mm -hmm. I ran a sustainability first campaign because here's one way that I can do something that can help protect our landfills. And how many times do you drive through a community and you still see uh, yard still signs there up? from 2021, 20, Exactly. Whatever. Because people don't, one, unless you have a very tight system to mm -hmm. know exactly where you place them. Oh, right. People to are go pick them, them up. Out. Yeah. You also have people that... The steel yard mm -hmm. signs, which I'm like, Sean got, Strain is going to court this month, I believe. For <laughs> See, that, it's like you got too much time on your hands to spend the energy to go pick up someone else's yard sign mm -hmm. or to remove it off of the wire. The wires are the most expensive thing, by the way. So Same it's as like racks, our wire racks. It's exactly. amazing what they cost. And it's like, why would you take the time to stop your vehicle to get out to go do that type of mm -hmm. damage or to remove somebody's information? Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to eliminate that piece of it. I'll get out, talk to the community. Hopefully you saw the work that I did for the eight years, all the programs that I was able to institute and have created. And you see the difference of me not being there and not having my voice at the table. And thankfully the community came out and said, uh, yeah, we think we want you back. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, was there any other than at large differences uh just in terms of the council itself and the way things operate, was there anything that sort of was like, oh, shit's changed Oh yeah. when you came back? Oh, definitely. Well, you got to remember, during my first eight years, mm -hmm. I went through five mayors. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes, that was the Right. I went through five mayors, starting with Anthony Fox. Mm -hmm. I would still say today, for me personally, Anthony was one of our best mayors. He is the best mayor that I worked with, mainly because his communication style was very different. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, even though the way the 15th floor is set up, if anyone's never visited, the mayor's office is on one end, all of council is on the other. You didn't necessarily have that divide. He was in constant communication. We would disagree mm -hmm. on a number of things, but the way we disagreed was very very different than what I've seen over the years. I've also seen, you can go back to 2015, 16, if we had a public hearing, remember how we, council, were actually were able to engage with right, you, yeah. the constituents? Talk back. Well, mm -hmm. and actually have a conversation. conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, you see that has been eliminated. Only mm -hmm. one person gets to have conversations with anyone that comes up to the podium. Right, that's the mayor. That's it. And basically all she says is, please send a typed up comments to our city manager's office. Or we might have staff that might be mm -hmm. off to the side right. that can assist you, but there's not a mechanism for necessarily council to receive an update automatically right. on how did that, that conversation go. That is super go. aggravating for journalists as well. <laughs> so I am a fan of policy. So if the policy is broken, let's fix it. I am a fan of transparency. I don't think I've seen the level of transparency we once had. Now, you can't share everything because there, there are some conversations that you need to have within council government. But once you're able to share that information with the community at large, we should do that immediately without there being any hesitation. Mm -hmm. You should not have the obstacle of trying to maneuver with staff to the point where you're playing double dutch and get frustrated and then you bring a council member 
end. There's right. a lot of conversations that, to be perfectly honest, I shouldn't necessarily be a part of as a council member if staff had done the things that they were supposed to do and mm-hmm. they had done it in an equitable and a transparent way. Mm-hmm. But those conversations come to us because they're not getting that access and the information that they need in order to try to move our community forward or to get the information they need to be a healthy and successful resident of our city. Right. On that same note, uh, because you just were talking about transparency on the county, on the council level, but there's also been a change about a year ago, I'd say, uh, give or take, time is crazy now. Yeah. But, Five uh, years later. <laughs> yeah. Where Jenny, Jen, Johnny Jennings' CMPD department announced a shift in their PIO strategy in terms of uh, basically just outwardly saying, we're not going to answer any requests for info anymore unless you submit a personal public information request, uh, which we have done. Uh, we have one that's about two years old, still waiting for a response. So that's not all that helpful. And it, he came in after Putney sort of preaching transparency and it's not seemed to come out that way. I mean, have you, I don't, I don't know if you, I don't think you were, uh, I was not there, you were not there when, for, they, made when that. they made that announcement. It was right before you came back on. Right. In but, September. Right. But I was, I did quickly try to catch up on it. Mm-hmm. One, there's multiple levels mm-hmm. to this. So yes, CMPD receives a lot of requests. Some of those requests are valid requests. Some of those requests are requests that are more time-consuming because there may be a request where we want all the information from 2015 to 2022. Right, right. That is going to be a lot harder mm-hmm. to try to sift through versus a immediate event that may mm-hmm. have happened. For me, I still think there should be transparency across the board. We cannot expect the community to be open with law enforcement, especially our local law enforcement, if it feels like you're only receiving partial information. Mm -hmm. There are times where I feel like as a council member, we're receiving partial Mm -hmm. information. So understanding that some things cannot be spoke upon Mm -hmm. at the beginning, but there should be be a point within a reasonable amount of time, not two years later, right? like within six months or so, where you're able to address this. But I also recognize we have staff constraints. Mm -hmm. So I try to be respectful of understanding that there are a lot of staff constraints that are out there. We don't have as many people as one would think, considering Mm -hmm. they're covering Charlotte-Mecklenburg and our towns and regions. We don't have as many officers. A lot of young people aren't interested in becoming a law enforcement officer, and even on the administrative side. If you go to the city of Charlotte's website right now, you will see that there are multiple positions out there within Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department. Right. Oh, absolutely. There are a lot of positions that are out there. I was at the Neighborhood uh, meeting on Tuesday, last Tuesday, and they were saying that they're at about 66% in the Eastway Division specifically. Uh, Fishback was talking about it because he's captain there now. But just what 63 positions filled out of 91 something along those lines just in that division and it's a challenge because there's a lot of outreach that has happened both with CMPD and with Charlotte Fire to try to identify young people in high school and in the college level to try to get them to be interested But, but across the nation there's been so much discourse with law enforcement and community that a lot of people are just not interested in stepping into that career. So how do we even change that conversation and that discussion 
again, going back to when I was first serving, I had Chief Monroe. Mm -hmm. We were able to do some amazing things around community policing. I personally think that is one of the best forms of policing because we had community events. I know specifically for District 3, quarterly, we had events where we brought all the resources out. We even had a bicycle ride with Clanton Park mm -hmm. where we brought and the he, young people out. Monroe founded the, the Barbers, right? Yes, yeah. Cops and Barbers Cops program. And Barbers. So he was very different in his approach to policing. I don't think we've seen that level of community engagement within law enforcement since him, but I also recognize everyone has a different style mm -hmm. of policing. You're always going to have an individual that has a challenge with their supervisor. There's no job out there where all the employees love right. their supervisor or their manager mm -hmm. or whoever the director is. My parents used to always tell me when I complain about a teacher, <laughs> like, you're not going to like your boss either. Exactly. And so you're always going to find that. So then I became that. my own. <laughs> and see, but you're still accountable to right, people. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So you always have that challenge of personalities and how we interact. But I do think we could be a lot more transparent and it should not take two years to get information because sure. as the media, my hope is what we talked about before we got online, that we have impartial reporting. Let's go back to mm -hmm. Dan Rather. Report right. the facts. Give me the facts. Mm -hmm. Simply the facts. We don't see that as much today. Right. And that's what we aim for. I think a lot of people um, consider us some sort of liberal spin doctors uh, of some sort. But I think anyone who's been a subject of my story, of my stories that I do uh, in depth, police included, will tell you that I've never been unfair or um, stated things inaccurately or not shared their talking points unless they refuse to share them themselves. And then which that's is a challenge. The case. Yeah. Because if you leave a void, mm -hmm. if the entire interview is no comment, Mm -hmm. I can't speak to that, no comment, then you're forcing me to fill in the blanks. Right, and that's often a part of our job is trying to convince people if you don't comment, that looks worse than right. anything you're about to say. Exactly. But um, let's get a, let's get fast-forwarded to what's going on now. Um, we had already planned this this podcast trip before Monday night's yeah, meeting. Yeah, so much but fun. as is the case, <laughs> as is the pattern, Luana, you were at the center of some of these uh, conversations on Monday. Yeah. And I think one of the more interesting conversations was about this deal, land deal on Sugar Creek Corridor. $4.4 million? Yeah. yeah. Was it 4.4 4 or 2? $4.2 million. 4 .2, yeah. Um, so the city purchased the land where the economy in now is. Um, it is. It has extended stay, daily stay, and mid-range, I guess. It's, it's a motel that has been the center of some crime along that corridor for mm -hmm. quite some time. And the plan on the city's, in the city's playbook anyway, is that Getting rid of some of these motel rooms that have long been a, a plight, I guess, or long been a, uh, seen as a criminal epicenter within Sugar Creek Corridor along the 85 interchange will help reduce that crime. Now, that's arguable, but that's the plan in the playbook. Mm -hmm. And you are one of the few and definitely the, the person with the most reason. Like Ed Driggs just said, I don't want to pay a million dollars an acre. He voted no. Uh, Winston voted, Braxton Winston voted no. He wants to see other sorts of. Um, uh, he even said, I want to see the whole exit closed so that mm -hmm. the motels don't need to operate as those right. sort of throughways for folks trafficking, doing whatever. Um, and then you were sort of at the center of the opposition, um, really going into a lot of different reasons to have to do with gentrification, the High, High, Highland Creek, Hidden Valley Neighborhood Community Association was there and they were in mm -hmm. support of it. 
but you were sort of speaking directly to them, saying, yes. you know, you just need to pay attention to who is actually going to move into. I think they specifically suggested townhomes. Were no, they suggest that they would like to see single family. Single family. Uh, and you were sort of saying, you know, if you think about it, who's going to be moving into those? It's not going to be the people who look like you who have lived in the Hidden Valley for a long time. That and I addressed at the very beginning, mm-hmm. did we have a police tower? Station at this. Right. Has there been effort enough? Did we have a sting operation, for lack of better words, where we had police consistent presence for a six, eight month period? Mm -hmm. Because we already know if the police is there, the chances of that crime happening, and you've just taken, retaken that corner to say, no, you can't do crime here because mm-hmm. you got if you bold enough to do it right in front of the police, that's a whole different conversation. Mm-hmm. So for me, if we did not put these steps in place prior to saying that we're going to pay a slumlord mm-hmm. $4 million and have no language in place that says you can never buy property up in the city again. Right, right. If we buy this and we demolish it, we're opposed to just saying we're going to issue an RFP, a request for proposal for those that don't know what an RFP mm-hmm. is, that we're stipulating in the language on this front end what type of developer can come in, what the expectation is. And if we give this to you, it is as is. And no, you don't get to ask for an additional additional million to $3 million mm-hmm. to Later then turn around and build it to give me five units at 30% and below. Right. Yeah, that's something that on this on that issue, I've always been curious about whether there's state law or it's city ordinance or what can be done. Because it seems to me that beyond some of the, like the housing trust fund dollars mm-hmm. that that do get offers, and we just see uh, we just saw the new recommendations on Monday, on Monday. night mm-hmm. um, for the next round of spending. But for the most part, when there's other developments outside of the housing trust fund, you see. There are uh, subsidies of some sort for mm-hmm. developers and s- to say you get this and that if you build a certain percentage. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, 99% of them don't don't bother. Because you can have a fee in lieu. Right, So exactly. I would just, so even though we're offering you this, you could say, well, I'll just donate some land mm-hmm. over there right. so I don't have to build it here. Or what? I would donate a million dollars for you to go figure out how to buy land. Land is a commodity, Mm -hmm. and it's a commodity that we are quickly losing. Right. So where are you going to build it if you're not building it Mm -hmm. as a part of your project? Because I've said multiple times from the dais, if our workers cannot afford to live here, we are setting ourselves up to see what many other communities have seen, and that is the exodus of these companies because they don't have the workforce to do the jobs. Mm -hmm. Right. And what's stopping the city from saying, making it mandatory for 20% It's not, or so we something? don't have the ability legislatively, because okay, we're dealing with state. So we mm-hmm. don't have the ability to mandate it. But what we do have the ability to do is those projects that hit or exceed our goals, mainly for me, exceed, not mm-hmm. do the bare minimum, they should have prior, they should have higher priority. Because mm-hmm. we have a rating system when it comes to mixed income housing. Mm -hmm. Those should be the ones that move forward. I think also the city has an opportunity to rethink who are our partners. It doesn't always have to be the larger builders. We have some niche builders out there that build from 100 to 50 Mm -hmm. units. 
Imagine if we gave them access to that land that we give these large builders that's valued at millions of dollars, and then they come back to us and give us five units Mm -hmm. that are in the 30% and below, or three units that's at 50 to 80% of the AMI, and then 25 units at the 80 to 120. Mm -hmm. Political will versus political ability. I believe that we have the ability to do a lot more than what we have the political will to do, and you have seen that through our votes. Forget what we say Mm -hmm. at the dais. Forget the pontificating that happens. Forget the things that I speak about. How am I voting? Right. Because if I turn around, if I tell you I have a challenge with something and I lay out the reasons why I have a challenge, but I still vote yes in favor of it, then my whole discussion was just for media clips. Just to hear myself talk. Right. That's it. Mm-hmm. Right. And... Are, are there some developers that you know of in Charlotte that are trying to um, push that sort of push that forward? We and, actually have a couple. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at out in South Park, mm-hmm. for example, there's a multifamily development that was built out there with no funding from the city, but they created units in there that are available at workforce. Now, those units are about $1,100, mm-hmm. but you're getting over 800 square feet and all the amenities that you could ever think of at this brand new facility. Yeah, 1100 is, is yeah. affordable yeah. for a lot of people Mm -hmm. it's not affordable for that individual that can only afford 300 or Mm -hmm. 500 but here's the reality you're going to be hard pressed to find anything for three to five hundred yes when i moved to charlotte in 1988 my two-bedroom apartment was 375 dollars those days are over Mm -hmm. the market is what it is but we also have the work that laurel street has done and the way that they have really maximized and utilized housing trust fund dollars and even how they utilize the LIHTC and other funding options, not only from the state government, but also the federal government. You have the work that Sharice Blackman is doing with Historic West End Partners, which is absolutely amazing. You have a multifamily senior development coming up off of West Boulevard that it has a 99-year affordability. That is in perpetuity. So then you have a project... The requests and the recommendations that came before us Monday, almost all of them had 40 years. And then we get to one that had 15. Mm -hmm. That was in Northwest Charlotte. And it's like, wait a minute. We've seen just how quickly our community changes in four years, Mm -hmm. just from 2019 to 2023. 15 years will fly by. Mm -hmm. So what's the goal? So you want this millions of dollars, two million and some change for a 15 year commitment. And even at that, I want us to step back and look at the role that we can play with our partners Mm -hmm. on who gets access Mm -hmm. to these units. A number of our partners closed their wait list more than a year ago. Absolutely. Because the wait list is That's the scariest part, or just the most overwhelming part, I guess. Exactly. But yet you have people that have been on that wait list for over two years. Mm -hmm. But we don't have a mechanism, and we don't have the conversation to say, how about we start at the bottom of the wait list and check on those people to see where they're at. Mm -hmm. I have a resident that called me the other day because we had a standoff on Easter. Mm Mm-hmm. Out at Whitehall Crossings. Mm. She's been on the wait list for over two years trying to get out of this situation. Yet, when I go to a ribbon cutting or a groundbreaking of a new multifamily unit, 
and I'm talking to the residents, they're telling me, yeah, I moved here six months ago. Mm. I moved here three months ago. Oh, I moved here for this right. unit because they know how to work the system. Mm-hmm. We gotta, we have the ability to rethink when we're allocating your tax dollars. Let's put some different expectations on that. And then for those who don't want to adhere to that, mm-hmm. that's fine. Build your market rate product. But if you're asking for our tax dollars, that should come with some very clear expectations. Right. And that's something I've always been interested in. And I need to dive into this in sort of an in-depth piece. Um, that I, It's one of those things that's just on my to-do list. But my thought, you were around when we were starting to prioritize uh, housing first models, mm-hmm. more place specifically. McCreesh Place has been around even longer. Uh, I live right next to McCreesh Place for any NIMBY out there. I, there's no issues with McCreese Place. It's a great neighbor. Uh, then more place was built, and that seems to have gone pretty well. Yep. Uh, very successful. And for those who don't know, more place and McCreese Place are housing first models based on apartment complex with amenities, with even in house healthcare, things like that for folks who are chronically homeless to get into housing first and foremost and then deal with whatever comes after that, mm-hmm. whatever they need to deal with in their personal lives, whether it be. Jobs, addiction, what what have you? Wraparound services. Wraparound services, right? Um, that felt so uh, exciting and to me when more place was built, and it was like, let's do this in at least one in every district or something. Why? I don't expect you to necessarily <laughs> be able to answer for everyone, but what happened to that? Why political don't we ever will. talk about those anymore? Political will versus political ability. Mm-hmm. It is, unfortunately, with government, a lot of times we are very reactionary versus being proactive. So one of the challenges of a two-year term is those priorities change every two years. So you may have a group that started out with a focus on let's grow this, but then you'll have new members that come in that have a very different priority. Mm -hmm. One of the challenges that I see in my, just my opinion, and like a rump, we all got one. Mm. When you first come in as a newly elected, opposed to staff having a conversation of here's what we're working on and why, we just give this big overview, and then there you need some space to bring to the table what it is that you're passionate about, hopefully based on the community's concerns, not your personal concerns. There needs to be a space in there to talk about what are we doing and why we're doing it. And now how can what you want to do tie in, enhance better this opposed Mm -hmm. to we're going to stop this and start new and come up with something else down the road? Because we have some great models out there. And like you said, we have not been consistent with those models because we keep coming up with a better way based on best practices from other. And those who are not watching me, I'm doing a whole bunch of air quotes. Right. We're looking at best practices where there was a time the city of Charlotte was the best practice. And we still are in a lot of cases where if you travel around and attend the meetings that we have with other legislative bodies across the state, they are still utilizing a lot of what we've done. I would like to see us get back to the place where we are that creative force that really addresses the issues with the community at the forefront and them helping us to decide versus we're going to do this for you because I know what's better for you than you do. Mm, right. And we we covered a, a um, 
a complex, uh, a, a found a, uh, uh, an organization called Home Again Foundation mm-hmm. uh, about a year or two. Oh, gosh, it must be two or three years ago now. Justin had gone and visited this campus. They had built all sorts of uh, single family or maybe duplex housing off of State. He and I were out there together. Oh, yeah, yeah. You were out there when Justin was there. Um, He just, the last minute, couldn't make it today, but he wanted to be here for this one. But, uh, and I know that he will be listening to this saying I want him to ask about Home Again Foundation. But that is that similar to the same political That's an amazing program that we never funded. Right, yeah. Why? That is, <laughs> that's same exact political thing that will you just said. versus yeah. political ability. One mm-hmm. of the other challenges is everything doesn't make its way mm-hmm. to council. Right. I never, it never came in front of it even. So when we have team and staff out there, I will say the majority of our staff are doing the best that they can with what they have. And I don't think it's been a priority from the top to think outside the box and look at the programs that are doing really great work and how do we enhance that mm-hmm. versus let's start new with this group or with who we've always worked with. Mm-hmm. We know this group, so that's who we're going to continue to do business with. It made no sense that they didn't even have an opportunity to submit a proposal or that we did not outreach to Reach them, to, to, them. Soli- right. to solicit, hey, you need to submit a proposal to the city Here's where I think it will fall in through housing and neighborhood services, because what you're doing over here is great work and mm-hmm. it is immediate impact work. Right. That two, that four million dollars that we spent the other day, mm-hmm. one point five million could have definitely given them the ability to have added four or five more homes. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if it's on the radar of everyone. And we have some amazing staff in housing and neighborhood services. I'm going to give credit to Warren Wooten as well as to Sean, they try to keep their ear to the ground. Yet, you were an employee once before you became your own boss. How many times did you have a really good article that you wanted to push forward and it got shut down? Right, yeah. So when you have that challenge where it, you may suggest it, I'm not saying that they did or didn't, Mm -hmm. but you may suggest or recommend, here's something new and something different. If it's not received by the upper management, ex- especially for the executive team, then it's going to be a hard path to move forward. So the other side of that is that's where your local electors are supposed to come in. Mm-hmm. When we receive that request or that invitation to come out and view this, we should be those champions that's in the room to say, hey, this is going on. Councilmember Renee Johnson has done that for a couple of years with the amazing work that Greg Jackson has been doing with mm-hmm. the hotel right off of Sugar Creek. Yeah, it's the same one, yeah. So his program, mm-hmm. he is housing people. Mm-hmm. But not only that, he's connecting people to training. Not only that, after that year, they are able more often than not to go off and be a and they're paying rent. So mm-hmm. you're not getting free housing, but you're getting those wraparound services that you need. Seems like we could have figured out a way, if not the full $6 million he was asking, $4 million to help buy that building because that will be a building that in perpetuity, again, follow the language, mm-hmm. have a strong attorney to fight to put the language in there so that a 99-year lease on this will be able to create opportunities because you're pretty much running this program through other sources. So when you have those really great on-the-ground programs happening, but 
there's a disconnect for who gets access to funding. I just think we have an opportunity to rethink what our goal is. Right. Absolutely. And I've seen that they were uh, trying to go talk to them, so I don't want to just spoil my whole article. Don't <laughs> they spoil your not, article. Yeah. They weren't happy with that deal right. uh, on Monday night. And they, I know that they had made some posts thanking you for voting against it and things, but it does seem like a disconnect between some of the grassroots organizations on that corridor. Um, the more money you have, the more money government will give you. Mm-hmm. And this is this is one of those ongoing conversations I've had that are related to a bunch of different articles from alternatives to violence on Beatty's Ford to this most recent issue or story and with the motel is that the quarters of opportunity seem to be uh, and correct me if I'm wrong or this is just too broad or or even just too uh, I don't know painting with a broad brush but. It just it seems to invite gentrification without a whole lot of things in place to stop that. And I know there has been more work towards displacement. Right. Um, Impact versus intent. Mm-hmm. That's really what it boils down to. The intent is good. Mm-hmm. I believe it comes from a good place. My challenge, which I also spoke to this past Monday night, is if we are not very clear on the front end with the language and the expectations then we risk the chance of seeing what happens. South End. Tai Wu and I used to have debates mm-hmm. quite often, even from the diets regarding the creation of TOD. I was never a fan of it. I'm still not a fan mm-hmm. of it because we could have put That's language transit in. transit-oriented development. Transit-oriented development. Yeah. So those who are that live close to the light rail, for you to for us to be able to create development, where basically TOD is a blank check. You can be, as long as it falls under this umbrella of these types of development, you can build it. Mm -hmm. And then you're in an opportunity zone as well in some pieces of the TOD that you can really stack it up. who is the opportunity for? Right. Which is what I asked Mm -hmm. way back then. Yet, we did not put the language in place regarding specific workforce housing. So who lives in South End now? Right. Who can afford seven, eight hundred thousand dollar townhomes and condos? Who can afford three thousand dollars a month in rent, where you have three to five people living together in a one bedroom mm. that hopefully have differing schedules, so they're not all there at the same time? How much displacement has happened now that South End has bled all the way down to Tryon? Right. So it goes back to that piece of if we put the language in place which I truly believe under our former city attorney, Bob Hageman, I think we, if he had not retired to go on to live his fabulous life doing other <laughs> great things, we would have much stronger language than the language that we have seen happen over the years. I still think we have the ability to remind people that it is a privilege to do business in the city of Charlotte. Mm -hmm. We need to act like it. And every project that comes before us should not be an automatic yes. And unfortunately, more often than not, that's exactly how it appears to community that whatever a developer decides they want to do is going to be approved with little to no expectations from them. We can't put demands in 
just like two Mondays ago when my colleagues were upset because I was questioning a developer about mm. yet another market rate. So they leaned over to try to get the city attorney, right. the assistant <laughs> city attorney, to stop me. And what I clarified is I'm not asking a question. I'm making a statement. Mm-hmm. How many point is, of orders do you get as compared to all the other council members? Well, I think this was my second one so far. Score. Please do, because friends of mine, back when I was around the first time, they used to make a drinking game oh, no. <laughs> out of our meetings on Monday nights. And for me, the frustration comes in, it would be so great if I had other community organizers mm-hmm. on council like I did when I first came in. You had me, you had John Archery. Soon afterwards, you had council member Al Austin. You had people that actually, who weren't transplants themselves, that only been here 10 years or less, mm-hmm. moving into the city and then determining how you want the city to look. But more often than not, you're comparing it to where you came from mm-hmm. and saying, well, in New York, we did this. Mm-hmm. In Atlanta, we did this. Okay, you left them places for a reason. Right. I never set up the dais and said, okay, well, in Miami, this is adult. Let me retract that. I did. I said, we have public <laughs> transportation. We have bus, metro rail, money rail, jitney, yeah. jitney buses. We can think outside of the box, outside of just rail. Oh, I got off that. Uh, I got off the plane in Miami, and I just hopped on the rail, and I got all the way down to where I was going. Exactly. It was so nice. Imagine mm-hmm. had the first line been a connection into uptown from the airport mm-hmm. versus how we chose to build it out. Yet. So that's why I say I will retract because I have said that in the past. But I don't talk about, well, the growth and the development of how Miami grew and policy that they mm-hmm. created because we're a Dillon Rule state. You can't do uh, apples to orange comparison. We don't have the legal ability to do a lot of things, but we do have the legal ability to do more than what we do. Do you love podcasts? You're listening to one right now, so we're going to say you do. You know what makes podcast listening better? A really great set of earbuds nestled snugly into your appropriate head holes. You could win a really great set of earbuds courtesy of the Queen City Podcast Network. A set of Bose noise-canceling quiet comfort earbuds, a $200 value, could be all yours. And all you have to do is sign up to receive the Queen City Podcast Network email newsletter at queencitypodcastnetwork.com between now and April 16th, 2023. You heard me. Sign up to receive a twice-weekly email about all the latest Queen City Podcast Network releases. And you're entered in a drawing where you could win the earbuds of a lifetime. The rules are published at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. That's also where you sign up for the drawing. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com, your ticket to great listening with a great set of earbuds. I'm interested in hearing, you know, you're just at the beginning of, and like you said, two years flies by. Yeah. But you're sort of at the beginning of this term and you got budget talks coming up or yeah. no budget talks are in are in They're swing. Done. you have the budget vote <laughs> coming up um but even beyond that what are some of your priorities now um without without a sounding campaign speechy right. but just the, the issues that you have your eye on the most with upcoming this or that unfortunately the concerns i have are the same concerns that i had previously mm. 
how do we get as many of our residents gainfully employed? Mm-hmm. Add on top of that, what is at the top of my mind is we are still very much a banking town. The mortgage department has taken major hits. We have had major layoffs. I'm concerned about those individuals that may have been in the mortgage department from lenders to brokers on up to senior VPs and others who once were making a good living. I'm not going to say they were wealthy because if you're still getting up going to a job every day, you're still working class. We forget that sometimes. Mm -hmm. We think working class is only one end of the pendulum versus the fact that it swings back and forth. I'm concerned now that our property reevaluations have happened. We're having discussions about what the tax rate is going to look like. Yes, people, prepare yourselves. There is potential, there is more likely than not likely there's going to be a tax increase. We have more people that have moved into our city that's utilizing our resources and our services. We need to keep up with that capacity growth that's happening. The challenge is those individuals that were once making good jobs, $75,000 or more, you're now unemployed and may have been for more than a year. There's not another company, and your whole career, 20-plus years, is in this one field. You're now not able to necessarily transition to another position, and if you do, they're not trying to pay you anything. Mm -hmm. So what is the quality of life looking like? Our homeless population, across the nation, there's going to be a challenge with homelessness. You're always going to have people like myself that moved here, didn't have family, didn't have a support system, but... Luckily, during the time I came, I was able to come in, get a job, start working, be able to contribute. That's not the reality for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You have people that have different challenges. So our homeless population is increasing. How do we address that Mm -hmm. in a way that's equitable, transparent, and where we're utilizing tax dollars to the best of our ability? Do we need to have a conversation with the community about the fact that we need to increase our housing trust fund? our bond issuance from $50 million up. Mm-hmm. Honestly, we probably do. But I also want to have a conversation with our banking executives where before you let a home go into foreclosure, let's see if we can work together with the county or with other partners or with the banks, opposed to you funding a billboard somewhere or supporting a gala by buying mm-hmm. a table. How about we reallocate those funds to create a grant fund to help those individuals that may be a couple of months behind. Mm -hmm. They're making the payments. They're not making the full payment or the payment is late. Mm -hmm. A little support could stabilize them versus letting them get to the point of foreclosure and knowing their credit is going to be altered for a decade or more. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out how we can help some people where they are, recognizing that we're running out of land. Land mm-hmm. is a commodity. Mm-hmm. If we keep just approving every market rate project that comes before us, again, I'm concerned about where will our workers live? Because we don't have the public transportation system yet to get you from outside of Charlotte no, yeah. into Charlotte. Without 10 different layovers or Exactly. Switchovers. So you're leaving your house 3, 4 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. where the buses don't even start running to 5. So... What does that really look like when we talk about connectivity and we say that Charlotte is a welcoming city? We may welcome you, but how are we supporting you? Right. That's Those are the issues that are at the forefront of my mind, my mind. Every time I'm driving through communities and I'm looking at apartment complexes with 
apartments for lease. Okay, well, how about you reduce them and let us get some people right. in there that's in a position to pay a reasonable rent? And no, $2,000 a month is not reasonable. I'm concerned that we don't have the political ability because of Raleigh to put a stop or a pause on all of these brand new residential multifamily and single family communities that are being built for rent. Mm-hmm. So you have people renting homes for what you were paying a mortgage, mm-hmm. opposed to creating more for sale product. I would like to see us, if this is a partner that's coming to the table and asking for tax dollars, let's look at their portfolio. How much market rate do you have out there versus another partner where their whole focus has been around creating diverse product? How about we put more interest in your project than in this one where you're just trying to figure out another way to just step in? You're fine. Mm -hmm. You're making your money. Mm -hmm. You have all this market rate product out there. The market's going to do what it's going to do. If you don't figure out a way to get those units leased up, you're going to reduce the price or you'll end up selling it. Fast forward. That unit gets sold, you're now looking at tax dollars under the form of a NOAA Mm -hmm. because you let the unit, the building, get run down, didn't didn't do the repairs you need to do, and then we're coming in and paying money to Mm -hmm. repair it. That whole cycle Mm -hmm. is a cycle that I would love to see us really break. Break, yeah. And I do have actually one outgoing question for you. You have a lot of... You have Democrats disagree with you all the time. All the time. Are you going to leave, call a press conference, and join the Republican Party? (laughs) Yes. Okay, for those who were listening closely when I just laughed, I apologize for that. So what I can guarantee you is there is no version in which I would, even though I've had a conversation recently with friends where I said, why doesn't the Democrats do what Republicans have done. Right. Run on that Republican ticket and get in there and fight Switch. for policy oh, change. Right. Yeah. Because if you go back, if we as a community did our research, we will see that we have a number of individuals that are in local office, that are in state office, and that were formerly in state office that voted overwhelmingly with the Republican mm-hmm. constituents and their representatives and their fellow colleagues, but also who voted who never voted Democrat, but when it was time for them to mm. run for office, they ran on a Democratic ticket. No one really talks about it. The media doesn't mm-hmm. talk about it. So we go out and we just vote straight Democrat. I want us to vote the right Democrat in. Right. Don't vote just, I'm, I would never support just vote black, mm-hmm. just vote women. I will always support vote for the right Democrat that's already have a record a proven record in our community. If you never saw this person doing any volunteer work Mm -hmm. or you saw them do volunteer work literally six months before they decided to run for office, that might not be the person that you should think is going to get in and try to do some changes. Because if you really care about the community, that work should have started long before six months before Mm -hmm. you decide you want to run for office. Because how many times when those individuals lose, Mm -hmm. you never see them again. Right, absolutely, never. I didn't disappear after I lost. Mm -mm. I went back to volunteering. I went back to the International Minority Coalition because equity and access for all people was very important to me. I went back to volunteering and showing up with my church and doing Mm -hmm. work with the LGBT Mecklenburg County Democrats. I continue to do the work because the work has always been important to me. Mm -hmm. I would love to see... This coming season, filing is in July, people. September is the primary. 
Give us some candidates out there that have a track record of doing good for our community. And let's see what we can do. And pay attention to what they've done. Yeah. All right, Luana. Well, I really appreciate you coming in here and Thank speaking you. to me. I'm glad we got to set this up finally. And um, I'm sure I'll be following up with you as we move move along in our city council agendas. I'm quite sure I will give you a couple of times where you can go ahead and take a shot. All right. <laughs> <laughs> More points of order. Uh, I appreciate you. Uh, and we'll see you at the dais. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. dot com.